Good morning. My name is Ava, and today I'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, which is page 920 in your pew Bibles, and Ephesians 4:16, which is page 948 in your pew Bibles. Romans 12 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Ephesians says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does the work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be here with you today. It's been a while since I've shared from up here, so for anyone I haven't met yet, uh, my name is Jeremy, and I am one of the pastors here. Over the last several weeks, we have been in a series called uh, The Postures of Prayer, where we've looked at different focuses of prayer in discussion about how we can abide in God, but also how God desires and does abide in us through prayer. And while I'm sure there's a lot more that can be said on prayer, today we're actually concluding that conversation. And as I get to share about how prayer, uh, I get to share about prayer as a force of faith, which at this point is just a really cool sounding title. Now, Sam, Greg, and Emily have shared a lot about prayer already. And so as a foundation, here's where we are from what we know. And so as I briefly try my best to capture over a month's worth of these talks, uh, this is where you can actually pray for me. And so prayer, as we've discussed, is much more than a ritual or a way to request things from God. It's a profound practice of forming and nurturing a deep, intimate relationship with God. We're reminded that prayer is how we achieve and have union with God, not as a transaction, but as a way to be truly present with him, like how a branch draws life from the vine. It's about being, God, it's about being in God's presence, authentically, whether in words, emotions, or in silence. And so we've talked about how prayer is a dynamic conversational practice where we share our whole selves with God. It's not just about speaking, but also about listening and being heard, expressing our emotions fully and engaging with God with our mind, heart, body, and soul, especially as we recognize lament because prayer encompasses the full spectrum of our human emotions including our pain, our grief, and even our anger. Because honest vulnerability is important to God. Because we are important to God. And so the power of prayer is not about changing God's mind. It's about allowing God to change us, aligning our will with his, and growing by discovering God's image in us. This ongoing and lifelong transformation is a fundamental part of our faith journey as we learn to trust in God's love and timing, even when his responses are beyond our understanding or expectations. Prayer is a living, breathing dialogue. It's a journey that evolves and changes. It's a relationship that deepens and is, and is transformative 
is a transformative process that shapes us as we walk in step with God's Spirit, becoming more attuned to His will and becoming increasingly more aware of the work in the world that needs to be done. So how did I do? Was that a pretty good recap? Because keeping all of that in mind, I want to talk about this picture that Olex is going to show us. I don't know if you can see that. Looks kind of cool, eh? This picture represents something I think is powerful. It represents the reality that in order for each of us to individually exist, we have biological requirements that extend beyond ourselves. Uh, if you can go to the next slide uh, as well, Olex. There's a lot of words there, but it's essentially going through 12 generations of our ancestors. It starts off with the first generation being a requirement for two biological parents, then four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 second great-grandparents, 32 third great-grandparents, all the way up to, tenth, uh, to the 12th generation, our 10th great-grandparents, where we have 4,096 ancestors that go before us. And so when you total up the whole, each of us has 8,190 ancestors at 12 generations who came before us. It's kind of cool to think about, right? Really, it's simple math, but it reflects something important for us to consider. That before us were so many other people with hopes and desires and dreams who may or may not have known who God was. But I think it's fair to say that either all of them or most of them had hopes for a better world, one better for their kids, which also means us. And when we think of these generations, what eras come to your mind? Because depending on the span between when people have kids, the numbers that we're looking at for our ancestors can be something that spans over hundreds of years. And in that time, the world has completely changed multiple times and still does change. And part of that reality and why there's been so many changes is because as each generation progresses and builds on what the previous generation laid down for us, we forget or have a loss of connection to the experiences of that generation that, we, uh, that were responding to what they were experiencing. Each generation suffers its own social troubles and hardships. And in those times, we see a need for prayer. And, and why is that? It's because deep down in the midst of our human experience, we know that we are subject to the principalities and powers which govern our world. And they allow the hardships and the trauma that is experienced by different people all over it. But in the midst of that, there's a yearning for something, something better, something that only God can provide and is actively working to accomplish one day. Something, I think, that is reflected really beautifully in uh, Hebrews 11, where it says, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Eugene Peterson in his book writes and says, um, in, in a book, I can't remember what it's called, when we learn to speak, we have ancestral genes doing their work in us. And we are surrounded by family traditions, heirlooms, cultural expectations, and cultural assumptions. We use words others have used before us, each word carrying the experience of generations. And this reflection on our deep connection to the past isn't just about language. It's about the entirety of our existence. We are walking miracles. Have you ever considered that? Not just metaphorically, but legitimately. The way God has designed us and designed life is really incredible. 
And through the advances that we made in science, we've begun to understand a little bit more about how God has structured and made things to be. One example is our cars and the technology we're using to actually live stream this. The culmination, uh, all of this represents the culmination of harnessing energy in various ways, a process deeply rooted in our continuous learning and innovation as people. All of these advancements are built upon the strenuous efforts of those who came before us, as well as all of those who are building upon that work now for those who will come after us. I want to talk about this next picture that we're going to show up. Oh, no, uh, I think it's the other one. This picture represents something we've discovered through a scientific field called neuroscience. Using some, some really cool tech that I don't really know how to talk about, what we've learned about our consciousness is uh, our consciousness and sense of self is that it comes from the way our brain cells interact and work. We've come so far that specific tech is even being developed and shows how we're able to know and decipher what our brain waves are seeing and communicating. For anybody that's watched The Terminator, it's like Skynet reading our minds. Uh, but I'm just kidding. We name these things that we're looking at the screen neurons, and they communicate by sending small electrical and chemical signals to each other at incredibly fast speeds. And this rapid and constant exchange of signals is what we believe forms our thoughts, feelings, and awareness, giving us the ability to understand and interpret our environment around us. And we'll continue to discuss this uh, at greater length, but just as these neurons connect and communicate to form a greater understanding and unified consciousness, our prayers connect us with God and with each other, creating an even greater spiritual understanding and unity. However, this field of neuroscience that we have hasn't really figured out what makes each of us unique and gives us our own distinct personalities, our own sense of self. And that's probably good because in what I've just uh, described, can anyone really say that accurately describes or captures them well? So we are walking miracles. But as people who are the legacy of those who came before us, we try to remember what was learned by previous generations but ultimately forget and lose connection with their experiences and what they were like. This can gradually change how we understand things and the values that we hold, especially with the language that we use and choose. All I got is, and, and I say all of this because of this next picture that we're gonna talk about. How many of you know what a hashtag is? Yeah? And how many of us know what a hashtag was called before it was called a hashtag? Yeah, number sign, a pound sign. <laughs> Hashtag thoughts and prayers is known as a common response online, normally used on social media platforms to raise awareness and, and share one's sympathies to tragedies and crises happening all around the world. It's a phrase that's become almost reflexive um, on social media, used by millions, um, expressing their solidarity, concern, or sympathy during these challenging times too. But over the years, this phrase has had a shift. Thoughts and prayers as an expression for some is now an empty cliche, often criticized for being passive or hollow as a gesture, especially when it's used as a substitute for action. And I personally feel that this hashtag, not, not all, that all of the blame is there, but, but I feel like 
it's in part why there's, there may be a growing feeling that prayer is seemingly ineffective or not real. But really, thoughts and prayers, when expressed, you know, as much as they have lost this significant, uh, they have lost a value to, to society, especially for those who don't believe or have hope, it can be, uh, it, it causes us to be, to feel incredibly intimidated to want to offer prayer to another person uh, who, who might benefit from prayer, you know what I mean? But prayer is real, and it's important. And I want to stress that again, because if there's one thing that I want heard from me today and remembered, it's this. Our prayers are real, and they are important. In the passage read earlier by Ava, they, they both involve body imagery, which is part why I wanted to talk about our brains a bit. In Romans, Paul is painting a picture of the church as a body, with each of us as distinct yet integral members. In Romans 12, uh, 4 to 5, uh, I'm just going to read it again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Paul is emphasizing our interconnectedness in Christ. And just as different parts of, the, of a physical body work together, so do we, as, as believers, with our individual gifts and roles, we come together to form the functioning body of Christ, moving in rhythm with the Spirit. And similarly, in Ephesians, you know, Paul extends this metaphor, providing further insight into how this body grows and how it's held together. He says, from, the, from him the whole body, and he's talking about Jesus, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This verse deepens our understanding of the church as a body, highlighting not just our diversity as individuals, uh, sorry, not just highlighting the diversity of individual roles, but also the unity and growth that comes from each member's co uh, contribu contribution. It's a powerful reminder that our individual spiritual growth contributes to the strengthening uh, and, and edification of the, the entire body of Christ. And this imagery ties beautifully into our understanding of prayer, especially when we pray, uh, and, and sorry, uh, when we pray, sorry, yeah, when we pray, it's not just an isolated act of an individual. It's a spiritual exercise that connects us to God and member to member in the body of Christ. And so our prayers, as we've discussed, being raw, emotional, unfiltered, they have a communal dimension. They are a way of participating in the life of the whole body, contributing to its health, growth, and the unity of God's church. And so as we continue to pray and grow in our faith, we're not just developing personally, but also contributing collectively to the church, the one with the capital C, God's church. And each prayer, each act of faith, in essence, represents our collective will as it becomes one with God's will and moves for the benefit of his kingdom. And his people, even the ones who don't know him yet, it's for their benefit too. But again, we need to remember how over time and generations, things tend to get lost in translation. And I think it's mainly losing sight and, and knowing what the feeling of those experiences were to those who suffered and built what we have and are currently building uh, on top of. When I was a kid, there were two main Christian denominations uh, that were main influences in my life. 
Uh, I had a Baptist influence from my mom's side, uh, and it was a church similar to us, uh, a part of the CBOQ as well. Uh, but then on my dad's side, he's Catholic. Uh, and so I had the, the Catholic church there as well. I'm not going to lie, prayer is very different between our own members of the body. And I frequently chose to attend the CBOQ church uh, in my life, mainly because Catholicism, uh, in in the way that it was uh, presented to me and and described, it really just didn't make sense. There's a theology where they pray to the saints. Saints are individuals who, based on their own merit, have lived a life of exceptional holiness and are now in a position closer to God, uh, and thus, uh, that's the reason to pray to them. Or at least that's how it was explained to me uh, growing up. And that's something that a lot of people have have, uh, the misconception of, but uh, the reality, after looking this up, the reality is that's not how it works. In Catholic theology, the idea of praying to the saints is actually about seeking their intercession. It's not about praying uh, praying to them as if they're deities. This was a key realization for me. Because saints in the Catholic belief are individuals who have lived lives of exemplary faith and devotion. After their passing, they are recognized by the Catholic Church for their virtue and closeness to God. And because of this closeness, they are seen as effective intercessors who can pray to God on, on our behalf. Now that's a lot different. And I'm sure that at the time that this was first discussed by the Catholic Church, you know, there's probably a general understanding that saints are not deities and that we are not per, uh, worshiping or, or praying to them. But over the years, that focus has shifted and has uh, and been a significant cause of conflict in the body of Christ and has caused uh, certain perspectives of prayer to come out of it as well as a significant lot of division. And while the concept of prayer, uh, praying to the saints, is different from our own personal practice, it brings up an important aspect of prayer common to all Christians, intercessory prayer. This type of prayer where we pray on behalf of others is a powerful expression of our faith. And and the unity, uh, sorry, is a powerful expression of our faith and unity in the body of Christ. Intercessory prayer is praying on behalf of others, but it's an act of compassion, empathy, and solidarity as well. It's something that we see throughout the Bible, you know, people praying for each other, for their communities, but also even for future generations, knowing that they're going to continue what we have. In fact, one of the most powerful aspects of prayer is its ability to transcend our own immediate needs and circumstances, allowing us to reach out in love and concern for others, both across physical space and also throughout time. This concept, really much, this concept aligns really well with the nature of the body of Christ, as, we, as we've discussed it. Because just as the parts of our physical body instinctively react and, uh, to support and heal uh, another part of our body that is hurt, so too in the spiritual body of Christ that happens. When one member of the church suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. Our prayers for each other are like the nerve signals in a body or the neurons that we talked about in our brains, communicating need and and rallying support and function and in operation. In the context of Ephesians 4, 6, sorry, in in context of the passages we read, intercessory prayer becomes a way we join and hold together and build each other up in love. It's not, just about ta- it's not just about asking for things. It's about being in tune with the needs of all of God's people, 
sharing the burdens and being a channel of God's love and grace for others when they can't feel, sense, or want it for themselves. At this point, it becomes clear that our collective prayer, each individual prayer joined together, are indeed a force of faith. Every prayer, whether for ourselves, others, or the world at large, it contributes to this collective will and desire. And when we do, uh, and and an example of this in our worship is, is when Barry read the prayers of the people earlier. Our prayers of the people are a way of us coming together as a congregation to engage in intercessory prayer for, the, for others uh, and the world. When we pray together, whether in the same physical space or connected by the same spirit across distances or even over the internet online, we tap into an incredible power that is from God alone. And this force of faith has the capacity to bring about change, to comfort, to heal, and to unite. It transcends individual capabilities, echoing the collective heart and will of God's people. And so while the practice of asking saints for intercession may vary across our denominations, the underlying truth is that praying for one another is a cornerstone of our faith. It reflects our shared commitment to be supportive, loving, uh, and sorry, to be a supportive, loving community united by Jesus. In our journey of faith, our prayers are often reflections of our deepest desires, our fears and hopes. They are the raw expressions of our heart reaching out to God. And sometimes our prayers may be actually misguided uh, or their content content may not be aligned with uh, with what God ultimately desires for us and the world. But remains powerful and significant is the genuineness of our prayers our sincere desire to connect with God, and our longing for a better world. And I see this when, especially when Emily brought up uh, imprecatory uh, psalms, right? Where we find an array of different emotions and requests, some which can be quite shocking. I'm not going to read it out loud, but in, in Psalm 137, as an example, you know, there's, there's uh, a line that talks about intentional violence against children. You know, and this verse is an expression of deep sorrow and a cry for justice despite how disturbingly vivid it might be. But it's not that the psalmist's desire for violence is aligned with God's will. Rather that this person's raw, unfiltered expression of anguish and yearning for justice in a genuine way, that's what connects them. That's what makes their prayer valid. It's a moment of being utterly human before God, laying bare all of our emotions without censorship. This is where the beauty of our relationship with God through prayer comes in, and and for me, where I see it. Even when our understanding is limited, even when our prayers are shaped by our pain, by our anger or confusion, we are still connected with God. Our genuine prayers, even in the midst of great despair, contribute to our oneness with God because they come from a place of authentic self, seeking something better that ultimately only God can fix and provide us. So know that prayer is not necessarily knowing or wanting what is right or wrong in any given situation or context, but it's always about surrendering to God what we are holding, whether it's with joy, pain, or something between. And so when we pray, even if the context of our understanding is flawed, we are still participating in what God is doing. Our prayer 
uh, our prayers in their vulnerable honesty add to the will and desire of what God is already doing in the world. And we get to have hope and trust in him that he's doing that. Even when our prayers are seemingly wrong or not in line in how we see God's movements, they are a part of our abiding in him, of reaching out with strong desires of peace, justice, and love. It's in this genuine seeking and in spite of our flawed understanding or lack of knowledge and experience that we find ourselves one with God in prayer, united in a shared desire for creation to be made new and the promises that we have for when Christ returns. Something I think is really important that needs to be said is uh, one of the greatest and best gifts that we have from Jesus in, in his resurrection from the dead, aside from, you know, sins being forgiven and all, you know, is learning that death is not the end of us. And that, there, that all the fear associated with death, which leads others to be hopeless in life who do not know God, you know, that's something we don't need to be afraid of. Because we can trust God knowing that existence and life and death are all moving within his control. And that we are beloved by him. This profound hope, born from the resurrection, it permeates our prayer life. It's a reminder that every prayer, whether it's a plea for help, a cry of pain, or a shout of joy, we are engaging with a God who, is not only, who has not only overcome the ultimate boundary of human existence as death itself, but shown us that through him, we can share in the fullness of eternal life through Jesus. Our prayers, therefore, they're not, just echoed, uh, they're, they're not just us echoing sounds into a void. They're conversations with a living and loving God that culminate into something much larger, that goes, that goes much further beyond ourselves and affects real life because God moves in mysterious ways. And as we think about our prayer lives, I want to encourage you to consider all that we've talked about, not just today, but throughout this whole series. And it's on YouTube, so if you need a refresher, you can go and check it out. But what we've been uh, talking about is, is intentionally seeking and desire and having that desire to pray for each other openly and vulnerably. And so for anyone who's wanting prayer, uh, prayer support, we have elders at our church whose role in, uh, in our leadership is to earnestly pray for, for what you and our community need and are going through. If you want prayer, please seek it. Allow us in, in, uh, allow us in so we may be, be with you, so that we can support you and rejoice with you. And in the same way, if you are nervous to pray, that's okay. Because it's more important that you move at the pace you are at with God. But remember that our prayers, when we share, it, uh, when we share them with, uh, with each other, they can be a source of comfort and what would benefit another person who's, who's experiencing something hard. I'm just uh, at the end of my, my talk, I'm going to invite the worship team up. But for our last prayer practice in the series, we're actually going to do a communal prayer. I'm going to open up the time uh, and invite all of us to join uh, and come together uh, sharing our prayers one by one, just out loud, uh, if you're willing and, and able. And these prayers can be anything that you're holding. They can be personal or, or about something uh, someone else is going through that you know. But just please be mindful that this is a public space uh, and, and privacy should be respected as well. As members of one body, we are going to use this time of prayer and share it. And that means giving to God simply and honestly and in respect to each other. 
remembering that our words are not the focus, but can both encourage and discourage others who are new to praying, uh, especially out loud. So let's keep this simple. And when the time feels right, as though it's uh, time to, to wrap up, I will. And, and we'll thank God for the time and continue our worship and song. And so God, we thank you for this time together. And so we open this up to you to share the things on our hearts, both uh, the hard, but also the good.
So God, we thank you for the things that have been said, but also the things that have uh, been silent, knowing that you uh, know all things and that we can trust you with them. I pray that you continue being with us always um, and help us to give to you the things on our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen.